Dzień dobry. Hello, this is Robert Kubica. Wiki, wiki, wawa. I is well peak to be asked to test F1 whip for Williams in it. And as you will hear from the way I speak today, I is bear down with the kids. Peace out. See, I still got it. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. There's no Zog, there's no Richard, but there is a Ted Kravitz. Ted, welcome back to Gareth Jones on Speed. Hello, yes. Is this my annual visit? It is, okay. yes. How have you been for the last 12 months? Well, I know, because I watch you every fortnight on TV. Ah, uh, yeah, but you know, that's the image on TV that's not completely true. I hate wearing shorts, never wear sandals, <laughs> and uh, it's all a myth. Look at me, look at me. I'm in long trousers, and I didn't I'm ashamed you. of my legs, really, when I get home. It's just a fact. But you have brought a notebook. I was going to say the notebook, but a notebook. Yes, I have, yeah. yeah. How many notebooks do you get I don't have these around, you know, with me. Just you asked me to bring one, too. Here it is. Yeah, I've got one here. Look at that. Can we actually hear the pages? Go and open the pages. It's real. You're not making it up. There is one there. So how many notebooks do you get through a season? Um, Probably about five or six. You tend to do one every sort of three or four races, two, three or four races, depending on, you know, what you're doing. I mean, if you go to a press conference with, I don't know, Sebastian Vettel, you can get through four pages because he talks so much. But uh, you go to one with Jean Todd, you're probably only about a page and a half. Or Ross Braun, you know, another six pages because he says so much. So yeah, it kind of depends. And then I stick stuff in between. Do you want me to do a bit of descriptive? It's supplied very kindly for free by Pirelli. Um, and it comes with a, a sort of matte black cover and the Pirelli is in sort of embossed silver. So it's quite smart. On the back, it says F1 licensed product, the Formula One logo, Formula One, FIA, Formula One, watch out, Yeah, and related marks are trademarks of the Formula One, blah, 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 blah. About all rights reserved. I don't know why they have to do that because actually I can't see it saying Formula One anywhere. All it says is Pirelli. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to start selling Ted notebooks. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, you know, Sky can't stop me from doing that. They're just called Ted's notebooks. Yes. You can, I can do a deal with you. My friend. Someone else called Ted. Yeah. <laughs> sheep farmer. Perhaps. So your your week starts on a. Wednesday, you fly usually somewhere yeah. on a Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday evening to get there, Wednesday night. You need to be there Thursday morning because Thursday is the media day where we get to ask all our questions and all the teams schedule interview spots. And you need to be there. And I've tried going out Thursday morning. It just knackers you out. I mean, you can do it for someone's and you have to sort of train yourself to be completely on it from Thursday morning. But if you go out on the European ones, it's a 5 a.m. start to get to Heathrow or Gatwick for nine. And then with the European ones, you get there, you're not going to get there till 11 or the interview start at 12.30. Mm. Typically, we have a meeting about half 10 on a Thursday mm. morning. So you need to be there for that. And, and if then, anything goes wrong with travel, which so yes, often does, exactly. you've missed it. Then and then there's a gap trouble. on TV. Exactly. And then you've mm. got your producer saying, why didn't you come Wednesday night? when you could have done something about this plane that's gone technical or whatever. So, yeah, arrive Thursday, or to be there Thursday morning. We have a production meeting Thursday morning. And then the interviews start around, as I say, half 12. Sergio Perez is always the first one that starts. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know why, just is. So either I do that, or Craig Slater, when he's there from Sports News, he goes and does that. And then it's the Sauber boys at sort of 12.45 and 1, or 1 and one thirty. Then it's Ocon. And then the Renault guys are at 2 o'clock. The Williams guys at 10 past 2. And then at 4 o'clock all the good guys decide to do their press calls at exactly the same ah. time. So four o'clock is when you've got Lewis, typically, Vettel and Ricardo, And then they all choose to do that four o'clock. And it's extremely annoying. But there you go. You that, that's them probably plotting to do that together. So they limit the number of interviews they have to do. They're doing it deliberately, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, we'll get around that. <laughs> Luckily, actually, we can get around it. Because not only do we have Craig there, but we've also got Sky Italy and Sky Germany. And so right. they've got, because we're all sort of one big family now, we all operate under the same kind of license, the same broadcast suppliers. We can all use each other's stuff. So if one of us goes and does Kimmy or Sebastian, then we can use the German stuff or the Italian stuff and they can use our stuff. So it's not so bad. Yep. And so then we've got interviews throughout Thursday until Thursday evening. Then I'll sort of fill up. The first one in the notebook will be the list of the timings. 
So typically there'll be a page if I can find it here. Did somewhere. you actually get this out on the flight on the way there and start making notes? Or does yeah, it appear yeah. at the yeah, circuit? Yeah. If I've got an interview that I need to make notes for. So here you go. So this would have been Singapore. So all the timings were slightly different. There's yeah. a Kviat and Science at 10 past 5, Ericsson and Verline at 4.30. Then you've got Stroll, Kevin Magnussen, Ricardo at the same time, Max Verstappen five minutes later, Felipe Massa, 7.45 we had Hulkenberg, then Raikkonen, Vettel separated by 10 minutes, and Grosjean, Bottas, and then Kevin Magnussen at 8.45. So, uh, so, so once all the, the interviews are done on yep. the Thursday... Yep. Do you then go and sit in a porter cabin somewhere with some editors? And do you oversee the edit of the pieces or are the producers who do that and you're a reporter out on the field? I used to do that because I came from being a producer and I didn't like to let go of my features. There is so much work to do now that you can't really do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's a very special one, like the Vettel interview that I did in Austin, you know, you'll get involved. You say, I thought this bit was good. I thought that bit was good. Why don't you take that bit and put it with that bit, you know, all that. And you kind of still be in with it or you've got an idea or you don't want them specifically to use a certain bit, then you'll sit in there for a little bit. But most of all, you leave the producers to it. We've got some very good producers. And that's the other thing, is that you don't really have time, because then you've got Thursday evening, you go away, go back, and then Friday morning, you've got Friday morning to sort of jot down a little bit of your thoughts for how you're going to open up in Friday practice. You know, what's the big story to you? Yeah. Or what is it, you know, to anyone? And that's the Friday practice, kind of three hours of that, takes care of itself. Uh, then I present free practice two on a Friday. Mm-hmm. So I'll write a proper script with a proper running order that you can give to the director and the producer so they know what you're going to say with script and um, what you're going to do. And then there's the F1 show, which you'll write questions in here. And then Saturday morning is another practice session and then qualifying. And typically I'll put through here what the producer is expecting of me during the qualifying show and at what time. So then I'll put the things that I'm going to say so they'll be in here somewhere. Why have you not gone digital? Why do you not make these notes in your phone? I mean, I do the same, but yeah. why do you do it? Yeah, it's a sort of analogue auto cue, this kind of thing. Isn't it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've just got into the habit. I don't know really why, because I'm not scared of using the technology and that these notes are going to disappear and I'm not scared that it's not a secure way of hiding things. I just not fat fingers and I can't always get the keys on the right way. And it's just easier to write. I mean, I don't do shorthand. Um, probably shouldn't be admitting that, you know. Journalist. I'm always astonished when I watch your notebook on Sky that when you read a quote from a driver, yeah. you've got the complete quote there. You're not missing any words or anything. You're not paraphrasing. You, yeah. you manage to get everything down without shorthand. Yeah, well, they're not the most advanced orators in the world i mean they can you know you can normally write down the key bits you ever listen to what they're saying and you write down the key bits and they say so much that's not key that uh-huh. you know the bits that are you sort of think you can easily write down but yeah i mean it's pretty bad handwriting as you can see but wait you're but standing still, in the hot paddock yeah, somewhere you are, yeah balancing yeah. a talkback system in one that's ear right. radio mic in the other a hand radio yeah, mic it. i know what it's like it's yeah. impossible isn't it yeah so um, there you go and there'll be key lines here so i've put here lines christian Horner on the RB14 and I'll remember that's just a note to trigger my memory I'll remember what he said about it they're not going to have the correlation problems the RB13 he doesn't like odd numbers and he doesn't like the number 13 so he hopes that 14 will be better Uh and what else I put everything that they've learned improving the 13 will be relevant to the 14 and I've put here I'll believe it when I see it (laughs) re-Renault engine modes so asked, we've heard about this Renault saying, oh, you know, we'll get what Ferrari do and what uh-huh. Mercedes do. And Q3, they turn it up and they disappear. They leave the Renault guys standing. And Horner has been saying to Renault for ages, hey, here's an idea. Why not do that? So we're not left standing at the end of qualifying. And Renault have said, yes, yes, we will do that. And then I asked Horner about it. And he said, hmm, I'll believe it when I see it. So I just thought. Do you write stuff in there in code, like a sort of a teenage girl's um, um, <laughs> journal? You know, is there secret messages that you daren't write down in um, broadly understandable English? No, I don't think so. You're uh, looking here. I mean, you could understand. Yeah, you could read any of I this. I could, yeah. Tost, yeah. Kviat had a very bad season. He only scored half the points of science. We lost confidence in him. He lost confidence in us. So there you go. <laughs> what? Franz Tost, Mr. Happy. And then it gets to the notebook itself, where divide up two pages. They're always, so you don't have to turn a page. So you can flip. Like yeah. That. And each team has four lines. This is A6, isn't it? Or is that I think A5? that's what we call that, isn't it? The little that would one. be A5, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, so that's A6. A6, yeah. right. So each team has four lines. So you start in pit lane order, yep. in championship order. Yep. So you've got Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, Force India and Williams on one page. Mm-hmm. 
And then McLaren, Toro Rosso, Haas, Renault, and Sauber on the other one. Mm-hmm. Each one has four lines, so that's two lines per driver. And then at the top, you put their finishing position, so it'd be LH3, Bot 4, Rick 7, Max V2, SVKR. And I have different identifiers for each driver. So some of them I can just remember by SV and KR. I can't remember EO for Esteban Evan Ocon. Ocon. It hasn't gone in yet. To, I need to put Oco. Uh, and CS I get confused with. It could be um, anyone there. Well, I, think, I always think it's CS. Yeah, it could be. CS. Carlos Sainz. And so yeah. I always put Sainz. Gasly and Hartley, I've slightly troubled with recently because I read Hartley and I want to think of uh, J.R. Hartley. Hartley. Yes. Or Dylan Hartley, who I believe is a rugby player. Oh. Even oh. though I don't actually like rugby. Stoff is always Stoff. Alonso yeah. is always F.A. Hulk is always Hulk. And then PW and ME. I can always remember yeah. that. RG and KMAG. KMAG's always KMAG. Anyway, so you put their position up there. So Rick 7, SV1, KR5. And you put a couple of lines to remember, you know, what you're saying. So this must have been the Brazilian Grand Prix where... I can't actually read that. I know it's writing. It just looks like writing, but yeah. in the language I don't speak. Yeah. Well, maybe this was Mexico qualifying where... I think it was, you know, because I've put on here the soaring, prancing eagle. Why have I put the soaring, prancing eagle? Anyway, Sebastian Vettel, what a lap, Kejiro. It's improved the setup from Friday and Saturday. Knew he had a good car. FP3 not representative. Kimi, telemetry problems in qualifying two. Kimi with a 117.2 with Sebastian a, with a 16.4. Yeah. Big, and then that gets you out. And then Maurizio on this year just makes me you know, remember about So in the myriad points. groups of people that you talk to, you know, drivers, team bosses, tech guys, who do you enjoy a conversation? Who do you get an <laughs> honest conversation with? The guys in the garage? It's sort of off yeah. record, isn't it? The guys in the garage, the mechanics and the engineers who aren't authorised to speak, it's a little bit difficult because they know that if they tell you something, there's a chance that it will come back to them. So I don't want to put them in that position, so I don't normally ask. I mean, if it's urgent and you need to and, you know, why are you taking the floor off? Is everything okay? They can't really say, but if they can't really say, if it's all fine, they said, oh, we just, you know, there was a crack in it. You think, oh, that's fine. If they're just not going to say. Yeah. Then yeah. you know to explore it with somebody else. Right. But the official channels. Yeah, the official yeah. channels are, yeah. are pretty good. I mean, you can get anybody, a team boss or a driver, which are always your first choices, or the PR person, which is kind of your third choice. Although if they're accessible and they can answer a very quick question and you're sure they know the answer, mm-hmm. then that's your best mm-hmm. person to go to. And of course, during the race, team bosses are a bit difficult because they're up in the pit wall and the drivers are a bit difficult to get to at the moment. Sadly, I don't get some sort of radio. During the race, are you in the back of any garage? You're you're allowed in the backs of garage. You're not allowed into the pit lane anymore. There was a time when you were. And in qualifying as well. You can't now. No, that's right. That's something we're looking to change next year, by the way. Uh, But it's a secret. I shouldn't have told you about that. Okay, you do. Um, And and so there's a line at the front which says pit lane. And you can stand on that line. And then you're effectively in the pit lane. I mean, you can see everyone coming in. You can see up to the pit wall. You can see who's talking to who. You can see who's looking worried. Then you can look in the garage and see whether there's a problem. If you're in Force India and you know the Mercedes guy who looks after the engines, he's still wearing a Force India shirt, but you know he works for Mercedes. If he's the one going around tearing his hair out, then you know they've got an engine problem. Or if the gearbox guy is going to check the telemetry, you know, then they, they might have a gearbox problem. That gives you an idea. But yeah, and then you move in through the back of the garages and you go into them and they're all quite nice because the cars aren't in the garage Mm -hmm. so you're not really seeing anything secret because there isn't anything in there the garages are empty apart from some guests and you go and talk to whoever's in there that you talk to so you're part cub reporter who is the cub reporter on the daily planet you know that kind of king guy what was it with the red hair i forget him (laughs) and part detective really because you never truly get The honest, full story. Your job is to interpret the messages that you're given by the bosses. When they say, you know, it's going to be tough, but we'll do what we can. You know, there's no hope. Yeah, that's difficult. You get a nose for when you're being sold a line. But sometimes, and it will be once a race or something, I'll say something and then... Brundle or Croft will say, uh, not sure about that. I think you might be being sold a line. Mm. And that's fine, because mm-hmm. all I'll say was, well, that's what they're saying. Yeah, your and job is to report. Yeah, if you're honestly yeah. saying this is what they're saying, yeah. then you've done that. If they're spinning you a line, then they're spinning you a line. And yeah. that itself will inform whether they're worried about something or not. 
but actually you tend not to be. And you can tell when they're skirting around a question or just not answering at all, yeah. which is what Christian Horner is famous for doing. I asked him, uh, looking back on it, you know, moving down one place in this year's Constructors' Championship from second to third, that's got to be something of a failure this year, hasn't it? Me having said to him, this is for our review show of the year, he says, well, you know, I don't like to look back. I like to look forward. And do you know what? <laughs> We've got some great things coming next year. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, yeah, he will have pro- professed that show. with, yeah, no. Really he would have said, oh, well, yeah, no, yeah. I don't like to... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult job you do. Who is the most honest of all the drivers you talk to when the young guys turn up they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and they'll tell you pretty much anything the older guys a bit more cynical but there's some truth out there isn't there there is kimmy's pretty honest lewis is pretty honest but it's always told through the way he sees things bottas is pretty honest alonso Again, it's always told through a sort of an Alonso spectrum. And you can sometimes tell when Alonso has to sell you a bit of a porky because he'll look at you, he'll smile, he'll tell you something that you know not to be true, and then he'll smile again. Oh! And so then But then, no, because he knows that it's the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, circus yeah. and he knows that it's a game. But he knows that you know that he can't tell you and that he knows that you know... A professional you know understanding between exactly, exactly. combatants. Or, or he'll say, I don't know, when obviously he does know, but he yeah. can't say. But you're right about the young guys. Ocon, he's always very good. Sergio and Massa, they're sometimes too honest for their own good. Yeah. Um, gets them into trouble. Yeah. Who else? Ricardo, pretty good. Max Verstappen doesn't really say much at all. Pretty short answers. He's learned that's a good idea to get through Formula One, not having to do many interviews. If you only give answers of eight seconds, then it makes your life much easier. Well, he is quick. That's true. (laughs) He's smart as well. But otherwise, you know, they're pretty honest. Because not least, if someone does fib to you, you write it down, you remember it. And when it turns out not to be true, you'll know that they've got, well... uh, Previous form, is it? Yeah, Yeah. previous form. What do you call it? Um, Believability issues, maybe Uh, you should call it that. Yeah, yeah. Believability (laughs) issues. Nice. So when you come to do interviews, who do you find it most difficult to talk to? Perhaps because they're playing a professional game or... They're just not really grasping what you're asking or they're grasping it too well and refusing to play the game. Well, to what you just referred to, Vettel, you have to be on your top game because if you get it slightly wrong, he will say, aha, well, you're not right on that and we'll give you a terrible answer. So you have to be absolutely on your game because he is and he's fiercely bright and he will always pick you up on something that you've said incorrectly. So you need to be on it with him. But no, I don't think there's anyone really that I don't look forward to. Not least because I try to make it different. I mean, if you were to sort of eavesdrop in all the questions in the interview session that they get, they're always pretty similar. They're always clearing up something from the last race. How do you think you'll go here? And, you know, target for the weekend or something. You know, that's the sort of stock three questions that reporters have when they can't think of anything else. And the drivers get so bored of it that I try to, for this Thursday show we get called Patrick Uncut, which is a bit of a silly name, seeing as it's very much cut. In fact, that's all it is. It's just the interview's cut up. Um, but, um, uh, we just do it. Program name is a joke, really. No one's picked up on it. And um, I try to sort of throw something different their way, just so you get a bit of a different response. Yeah. Not necessarily trying to throw them off guard, but just to keep their interest. Yeah. You know, just to make them think about something they haven't already been asked. Yeah. I think I like to do that. And it keeps me interested in it as well. Heaven knows, I went through years of just asking them the same stock questions and actually get pretty boring answers and interviews. But it's sort of half to keep me interested. And half to keep them interested as well. And it might sound pretty random, and sometimes it's awkward, but there is a point in that. It's asking them something that they need to think about that they haven't been asked not 30 seconds earlier by it, someone else. The best example I think of this is when I used to go to America in the 80s and you'd go to a checkout and you'd say to the person on the checkout, oh, could I have a box of Marlboro, whatever I was buying at the time? And I remember on a couple of occasions I said this and the woman working behind the till turned to me and said, I have no idea what you just said, but it sounded lovely. <laughs> Because it wasn't a program response. And they say, have a nice day, have one yourself. As a Brit, you respond. And if they haven't got a program response, they stall. They don't know what to do. Mm. And so many questions asked by sports reporters, you give a program response. Mm. But if you ask a question, which isn't a stock question, it requires them to think about it and actually engage their brains. And these are smart guys. F1 drivers are smart, aren't they? They're not just 
muscle. They have to use their brain in the car. Schumacher was a great example of someone who could calculate the difference to the guy behind, depending on which tyres he was going to get in the next stop. You know, they've got to be smart, aren't they? Who's the smartest? Vettel? They are smart. And sometimes when you listen to someone and you think, oh, he's a bit dim. It's not. It's just that he's not devoting the mental energy into giving a stellar answer to a question. You know, and sometimes Lewis says some things that you think, oh, come on, you can do better than that. But he's not. No, actually, because he's not using mental energy. Because it's all energy. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, But you're spending mental energy on it. You'd rather just say nothing in particular. And latterly, Lewis wants to give great answers because he's in this position where he's winning everything. He's just become the most successful British motor racing driver in history. And he wants to think of something apt that's going to be repeated over the years in history and it almost you get the feeling it sort of disappoints him that maybe he can't come out with the right words so he tries to and sometimes it doesn't come out right but actually he is smart so who's the smartest i don't know vettel is very switched on he's had to go through this year a bit of self-analysis that he hasn't had to go to before Mm. um made him look inside and at himself in a way that i don't think he had to do when he was at red bull who else i think ricardo also is very smart i think max verstappen is smart in a different way you get a feeling that because he didn't have a rounded out education that maybe some of the others had although very few of them did have of course because they're all going to karting races since they're eight yeah really have an adolescence yeah like perhaps we did yeah, and are now yeah. living their adolescence through into their 20s mm-hmm. by going oh. out and the michael jackson syndrome <laughs> i think we call <laughs> yeah. this yeah and they're having a good time and they've got as many girls as that's what they're into that can throw themselves out but um who else science he's very smart as you say ocon also very smart but some of the ones that you think are more meatheads or muscle as you say driving the car sometimes will come out with things that just astonish you and just think oh well you know not so dim after all we now go live to our reporter who is in Sana'a, the capital of Yemen. Well, things are certainly hotting up here as Houthi rebels and their supporters have taken to the streets. Excuse me, sir? Yes? Uh, what is the significance of what's going on here today? Well, the people of Yemen are conducting a rally because they are very pleased that Elvin Evans assigned to stay with the M Sport team for 2018. The people of Yemen love a rally. Just a minute, you're not actually Yemeni. No, I'm from Swansea. I'm just visiting. Get petrol! We got a Jones on speed! It's the dark winter of discontent where there is no Formula One action on circuits. Although, to be fair, Ted Kravitz, Mm. I was looking, are Sky actually running the entire 2017 F1 season, including all the practice and qualifying sessions, in order from Albert Park to Abu Dhabi? I saw that. That's amazing. That's never happened before. I know. I I mean, there is stuff going on. There was the Autosport, the Glittering Autosport Awards. You were there? I was there, yep. The FIA holding their awards this weekend at the Palace de Versailles, just outside Paris. Where Lewis becomes a champion officially. Officially, exactly. Which is probably apt, given that uh, Jean Todd's nickname is Napoleonic, isn't it? <laughs> on, Napoleon, that's Louis XIV in Versailles. <laughs> I do, I made a terrible French history faux pas. Well, we, uh, we just Napoleon call him a toad. Ever, did Napoleon ever hang out in Versailles? Almost certainly. Surely. I don't know. Did My he? French history's not that good. Actually, okay. on Welsh history, I'm better. All right, yeah. okay. So, yeah, there was the Autosport Awards, and that was pretty good. Everyone was there. Vijay Malia was there. He was in town anyway, because his court case going on at the moment. They honoured Nelson Piquet and Derek Warwick, which is very nice. Robert Kubica was there, Sebastian Auger, Brendan Hartley, Timo Bernhardt and Noel Bamber, the WEC champions as well. And uh, no Lewis Hamilton, even though he was in London, but chose not to attend, even though he was there for the next day's BRDC awards at the Hilton, not half a mile down Why Park would Lane. he not attend? I understand he feels that the Autosport Awards is a commercial operation that they sell tickets for and make a profit from and he doesn't care to be used in the commercial way to sell tickets to punters for a commercial operation i understand that was the rumor going around as to why lewis had chosen not to come That's because he would have been showered with every accolade going and would have been clapped down with a standing ovation 
And there were thoughts in the room that, you know, maybe he should have just come for 10 minutes. Yeah, you yeah. don't have to glad hand. You don't have to yeah. autograph. You don't have to do anything. He might not feel this way, but this was the rumor. You're being commercially auto, uh, autosported, commercially exploited for autosports uh, benefit. Come in, receive the adulation, pick up your trophy, say thanks very much, everybody. Because, you know, this is where it started for him. Yeah, in yeah. 95, yeah, 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 yeah. When, when he tackled Ron. Ron Dennis. Yeah. And then go off and do whatever you want for the rest of the mm. evening. But no, he chose not to. Interesting, it's the old Bernie rule, isn't it? Thou shalt promote Formula One, yeah. but thou shalt not use Formula One to promote your product. Except that, if you're me. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> my bag. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one um, who exploits Formula One. But it was very nice. We yeah. had a nice time. We were on a table with David Croft, Martin Brundle and his wife, Damon and Georgie Hill. Simon Lazenby was there and Johnny Herbert and Rachel Brooks as well. And there are lots of people there. We were near a table with Eric Boulier. And we got some slight riff on Eric Boulier being like a sommelier and then had to ask him for different bottles of wine because we we, we wanted Eric sommelier. Yeah. I feel fair in his, I knew Eric a long time ago. He was on... His he, bow tie looked a bit like a sommelier. So we thought, Eric Boulier. Yeah, yeah. Eric sommelier. Eric sommelier. Sorry, go on. Yeah. I feel for him. I knew Eric a long time ago. He was running the Dams team yeah. in A1GP. Yeah. And he was actually running two teams, the French and the Swiss team. And they both did exceptionally well. Won it in separate years. He's an incredibly skilled guy. Moves to McLaren at the most disappointing period in McLaren's history. I'm hoping he's not going to get the blame. He seems to be there and hanging on. He survived mm. the post-Ron revolution. Yeah. But I do worry. I do worry for him. I sweat because I know the questions you ask him. You mm. dig, dig, dig. And, you know, he's doing his level, polite French best not to give stuff away. Yeah. But let's start with McLaren. Let's talk about the future. When does... The Honda contract with McLaren end. Is it the end of this year or the end of the season or at the end of the first test in January? Do you know the answer to that? I think it must be January the 1st because we haven't had any kind of McLaren-Renault. I think had it been the end of the season, we would already be having the launch of McLaren-Renault. They'd bring out a logo. Oh, sorry, not to mention a lot. <laughs> uh, very boring discussion. And they would have started with the merch, and Alonso would have been announced that he's doing Le Mans for Toyota. Maybe he can't announce at the moment. We don't really know. Instead, it's just gone quiet. It's just gone complete radio silence. And mm. I think it's probably January the 1st. McLaren Renault. But that's Boulier's doing, isn't it? He knew, and this is why I think he's going to be okay, because he's a smart guy, Boulier, actually, despite looking like a wine waiter when he's dressed up <laughs> in, his, uh, in his black tie. Um, he's a smart guy. He knew, actually, that the customer Mercedes wasn't going to be as good as the customer Renault. We all assumed, didn't we? Had he got offered a customer Mercedes, he should have bitten their arm off. Mm -hmm. But he said, no, 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 I really wanted a customer Renault because a customer Mercedes, you'll get the same physical engine, but you will not get anywhere near the way they run it in its optimum way because they'll just give you the plug-in USB how to run your engine program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, XML Form 1.0, and they're already on 11.6, you know, and so it's not worth it. But Renault give you exactly the same, and they give you the software as the same as they do. So you've got a much better option. So he's convinced that the Renault is a much better, actually, customer engine than the Mercedes, which is interesting. And the Ferrari, which said he didn't even ask for for the first place because they treat their customers so badly. Stats stats say that Renault reliability wasn't that far behind Honda. Honda had Mm. like 280 grid places and Renault had 220 or something. It's not that good. Hey, at least it's equal for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm surprised that we haven't had an announcement from McLaren regarding how that engine is going to be badged next year. Mm. I'm just looking at the Renault in the Red Bull, which is badged Tag Heuer. Mm -hmm. Historically, McLaren had a tag-badged engine from when they ran a Porsche block. I'm surprised that they haven't said, oh, it's not going to be badged Renault, it's going to be Mm. badged something else. Could it? Or are they actually going to badge it Renault from your experience? Could be, although, you know, they're quite sort of commercially savvy. And does badging engines work? I mean, really? Well, that engine in a Red Bull is clearly a tag hire. It's certainly not a Renault. If it was a Renault, they'd be talking to Cyril Abitbull yes, about it. Or, oh, they are, that's yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh that's um, right. Will the engine in the Sauber next year yeah. be a Ferrari or will it be an Alpha engine are they going to badge it yeah i think they are they are well the team's already badged alpha yeah i think it's just going to be called like it was bmw sauber yeah it'll be alfa romeo sauber alfa romeo (laughs) but i don't know i mean you would assume that they might want to badge it if only to stop zach brown mispronouncing renault (laughs) 
<laughs> Renault. Renault. Yeah. Renault. But, uh, no, it's not So does that mean that Haas get a Maserati engine in the future? No, yeah, or we'll a Fiat? We'll or see. Or I'm not sure Fiat is the right brand for Formula One. But no, we'll see. I'm not sure. But they must just be falling over themselves. The nightmare is over for McLaren. The nightmare is over for Fernando Alonso. Mm. He's out of that Honda mm. thing. And they've only got, you know, blue skies ahead, hopefully for them. And I know McLaren have resources like almost no other in Formula One, the exception of Ferrari, probably got more people as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Ross Braun proved a few years ago that you can take an engine and slot it in fairly late. But McLaren like to really, 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 really think things through. Mm. There are fixed points with F1 engines now, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. So the transition of switching from engine to engine is a lot easier than it used to be. Is that right? Yeah, it's just working out where you need to position all the plumbing, of which there is miles and miles. Mm. And something interesting Renault admitted to was that they caught some McLaren-employed spy photographers going around peeking their cameras and taking photos of their installation and Red Bull's installation. (laughs) They worked for McLaren. And they said, look, guys, come on. (laughs) This was before the Renault deal was done. They said, look, if we do get a Renault, we need to know the schematic, if you like. And if we can't get the schematic of how the engine is put together and plumbed together and where the radiators go and where the air inlets go, can we just go nick them, you know, through photos of somebody else? And they went to them and said, look, guys, come on. If you'd asked, we probably would have given you this. But, yeah, so they went and got spy photos. See, just the way that McLaren cross every T and dot every I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it's out there, we need that yeah, information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cribbing yeah. other people's homework, it doesn't matter. We yeah. won the race. Yeah. And yeah. then Renault said, well, we're changing it for next year anyway to improve the reliability. Uh, so it was all useless. Okay, so McLaren. Okay, I'm going to swap from sharp end to blunt end. Actually, McLaren at the blunt end, aren't they? Let's go to Sauber. Let's talk about the engine deal. Will they have a current engine next yep. year? 2018 Ferrari engine, yeah. And Charles, allo, allo, Leclerc. It is I, Leclerc, yeah, yeah. that's right. Now, help me out on this. Yeah. Le- Leclerc, shall we, or Leclerc? Well, we, didn't say... we say Paris, yeah, don't we? we? Say Paris. But it's Paris, oh, no. because we're speaking English. He's we Charles it? Leclerc. I, I mean, I do it. My name's Gareth. But when I'm talking to English people, it's Gareth. Mm. So, yeah, horses for courses. You can have two. I think either is acceptable. Zog okay. would argue that either is acceptable, okay. I would think, right. yeah. But, and Leclerc's... Le- Leclerc. Leclerc. He's unbelievable. I have enjoyed his season in Formula 2. He's great, isn't he? He seems to have all the aggression and sort of cutthroat overtaking ability of Max Verstappen. Twinned with the pure speed and maybe precision, you'd say, of a... Of maybe a, like a Hakkinen or someone. Yeah, yeah. Someone Just ultimate pace. Ultimate pace. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. really yeah. get involved with yeah. bumping people off. Makes but, the um, car go quicker than it should go. Yeah, One of those sorts of people, like Max, like Hakkinen, yeah. 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 But Stoffel was phenomenal in the lower formulae yeah. and he hasn't shone particularly, not that he's had any opportunity yeah. and he's been up against yeah. Alonso. F1 is the big test, isn't it? You know, no matter how good you are in GP2 or F2, whatever it's called this week, are you good enough for the Piranha Club? We'll see, but he looks a lovely kid, and he's got a lovely face. (laughs) He's got a lovely face. He has a nice face. I like his face. The cynicism hasn't killed him yet. Oh, I love his face. And Ericsson's still in there. Yeah. yeah. What What a driver. Yeah. What, a driver? Yeah. Uh, so He's good in Formula BMW. Remember that. (laughs) They're all good in the lesson. Okay, so I'm saving Williams. We're coming to Williams. So we're leaping up and down the grid. Ferrari, Kimi, Vettel, same engineering team, same engine team this year. No new people this Seems year. Seems so. We wait to hear whether this rumour that Maurizio Arriva Bene or Arriva Buses mm-hmm. was going to be promoted into some kind of senior, senior, senior non-operational role and that actually Marchioni would choose to run the race team in combination with Mattia Binotto, which was the rumour before they won a couple of races towards the end of the season or won Brazil. Leave Morris in there. He's actually turned Ferrari around in the last four seasons, effectively. Yeah, I think in the depths of the Asian leg when they were losing the championship, it seemed like Arriva Bene was going to go. He sort of turned it around. I don't know. It's Marchioni, whatever he decides, and he can change his mind from day to day, so yeah. we're told. Um, oh, we'll and see. Does. If they can, and does. It seems like Arriva Bene is going to continue. Um, it seems like Arriva Bene is going to be sacked. Delete as appropriate. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, but we'll see. But Vettel put it well. He said, if we can make the same step forward 
that we made from 16 to 17, from 17 to 18, yeah. then we will be dominant and we'll wipe the field with everybody. Mm. It was close mm. this year. They came out of the blocks quick yeah. and caught Mercedes unawares. OK, let's get down to Haas. Haas, no great changes there. They're third season now. You know, they yep. had a lucky first season. Second season, not quite so good. Consolidation. Yeah. Decent drivers. Groshan sounds fed up, though, doesn't he? He's fed up. He does, and I'm starting to think, what's the point of Haas F1? Are they selling CNC machining tools? Is that going well Well, I bought half a dozen in the last two years as a result of seeing them in the racing. Yeah, automated machining tools. Uh, Well, Formula One doesn't advertise products. It advertises the companies that own the companies that own the products. But it also advertises the dream, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's not selling the steak, it's selling the sizzle. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure where the sizzle is. Mm Mm-hmm. With, with Haas. With Haas. Anyone can buy a sports car, but only a few people can own a Ferrari. Yeah. And Ferrari has the sizzle. And same for McLaren, arguably. Well, the only option is for Haas to diversify and stop making these machine tools, but to start making <laughs> yeah. I don't know, cars, uh, yeah, jewellery, yeah. yeah. beer, anything yeah. that would sell. Yeah. This could be a precursor to that. Because all Formula One does is just plant a name. That's what it does. A name that you've never heard of before. You'll yeah. see Diageo. Who are these people? Yeah. And then you find out. Job done. I think has done really well actually I mean they finished 8th yeah. last year they're 8th again this year they mm. were in contention for 7th and for 6th until the last race yeah. um, but finished where they started so that's okay you know and they've got some good people there but I just don't really see the point of the team really Come they've on. got a UK base yep they've got a Charlottesville base Charlottesville yeah North Carolina and then the old Marusha factory in and Delara and Delara making the bits to mm. Ben Agathangelou's designs you look Answers confused. On a yeah, yeah. I don't, don't often see that point? confused. Like, it was very interesting question. <laughs> it's nice, you know. I'm glad they're there. Yeah, yeah. You know, a bunch of nice people, and Gunter Steiner's great. You yeah. know, and Gunter ah, Steiner. Steiner. Yeah. Yeah. Gene Hatch, when he turns up, just looks befuddled and frustrated <laughs> and bemused. <laughs> this is so as, much harder than I, I imagined. Yeah. And why is my bank account? <laughs> Yeah, empty yeah. all of a sudden. Well, well I've got it, no more money. Does it say Formula One turns billionaires into millionaires? That's what it's there for. Okay, okay so Haas, let's shuttle up to Williams. Come on, we can't put it off any longer. Yes. <sighs> the seat to replace Massa, it could be Verline, could be Derester. I don't think it can be Verline anymore. Really? Yeah, I think Verline's gone. But I think it's, it's a Mercedes either... back driver, Mercedes yeah, engine, he's no. good. Is he... Too many people off in the No, I just think that no one's really interested in him for the Williams. It's between Sergei Sorokin, Paul Deresta, Danny Kvyat, and Robert Kubica. And Kubica was the favourite before the Abu Dhabi test, and now they've got all this sort of confused information because Sorokin did quite well. They're like, well, where did he come from? Are we sure Kubica can do it? If we don't decide on either of these guys, what about Kvyat? having seen like an early good option has now sort of dropped out slightly the thing that slightly was worrying me that it seems to be turning into an engineer-led decision and uh, i'm not sure that's best than that. for williams because with the best will in the world mm-hmm. williams aren't going to be winning grand prix next mm-hmm. year are mm-hmm. they right. no, okay no. so what do they need they need a guy who is going to create interest in the team to wow the sponsors with his amazing story and to get more sponsors in to get some more money so they can make the car faster and then move up the grid right kibitza is that so he Mm -hmm. brings in money from lotos the polish oil company and he'll be there to wow the sponsors and get some more sponsors in they can market that they can all go to every weekend full of a sense of excitement and they do want somebody who can be in the car thinking oh hello crazy race here this is my opportunity Mm -hmm. i think i'll win this one Mm -hmm. and kibitza will be able to do that is he a tenth or two off the pace? I think of he probably he is. is. He's bound to be. You know, he says he's at 90% of his ability mm. that he was before. So that leaves the 10%. Yeah, so yeah, where's yeah. that 10%? All right, well, yeah. half of that could be that he's not used to 2017 cars, which yep. he admits he's not to. And half of it is that he hasn't had time enough in the car and didn't know the Williams. But yep. he was only nine tenths off Massa's qualifying time. Right. And Massa's been in that car every practice session, every qualifying session, yep. every race for the whole of the year. Yep. Nine tenths isn't so bad. And then you've got journalists now. I've been reading Mark Hughes and Andrew Benson did a piece, both good friends of mine, trying to pick out Kibitz's performance in the Abu Dhabi test and say, oh, look at this, we're trying to fuel correct that, we'll tie correct that, with a sort of hinting that Kubica actually isn't fast enough. Well, wow. do you know what? I'm willing to believe he isn't fast enough. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you shouldn't give him a try. He's not fast enough at the, at moment, the moment, but the equal moment. the playing field with the same amount of time in the same cars and yeah. he will get close, yeah. yeah. Although, mm-hmm. if he is quick enough and he can do it, there's the other question, should he do it? 
Well, he does look like a sex pest. That is a problem. <laughs> he does. No, he, he doesn't. He looks like sex pest. The slick down hair. You know, he's well, not. As, he says so himself. Well, he's not the most dynamic of looking. I saw him at, actually. I was talking at the Auto Sport Awards, and I thought, God, you know, well, he. I'm not he, saying he, he is a, bit, a sex pest. I'm saying he no, looks like no the one. Person no is. one thought he was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought, well, he's getting on a bit. He's got grey on the temples. He's losing the hair at the top. I thought, well, you know, he must look. Oh, he's probably 36, 37. Went back, look it up. He's only 32. Oh, really? He does look very yeah, much. Yeah. Older and yeah, you know, but he is driving one-handed, yeah. one-armed. Uh-huh. You know, and, and that's the other thing about these journalists writing these pieces, picking up. You know, oh well, you know, he was nine tenths off Massa. Hello, he's with only got one arm. Yeah, I could do nine tenths off you with one arm tied behind me back. He's only, Literally, yeah. he's only got one usable arm. Yeah, of course he's going to be. I wonder when we'll find out. Put him in the out. car. Come on, put him in the car. They're in no hurry to make that decision, are well, they? They're going to hang on, aren't don't they? Really know why? What are they hanging on for? More, mm. you know, it, More needs, confusion. it needs. Claire Williams wants Kubica in the car. I think right. we can read between the lines. She understands, but the engineers are saying, "Well, look, you might not be getting the fastest driver." And she thinks, "Oh, yeah, maybe we're not." Oh, engineers, you know, they're showing me pieces of paper that says that throughout a race, Robert's going to lose ten seconds. Sergei Sorokin did a one thirty-four point great. You know. Mm. Well, Mm-hmm. Ooh, I mean, what? You know, get him in the car. Interesting. Okay, Williams hopping down the grid a little. Toro Rosso with their dreadful Honda engines. Those poor people. They've made a terrible mistake, haven't they? Or have they? Wasn't so Which bad. What do you think? Wasn't so bad in Abu Dhabi. I mean, yeah. Alonso, all right, he turned up the beans at the end when he knew that engine probably wasn't going to explode over one lap. Then he got the fourth fastest race lap. He was chasing down Massa in Brazil and in Abu Dhabi with a Mercedes engine. It's not that bad, that Honda, mm-hmm. I tell you. Mm-hmm. All right, I mean, they've turned it down sufficiently so it doesn't blow up every third corner. And this mythical unicorn of engine 4.0 that never turned up. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I don't think it's so bad. And let's see what happens, because I like Toro Rosso. They're run by a madman. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they've got two great guys. You know, the thing about Tostas, someone told me this, is that he just has no life outside motor racing. Really? Someone said to him the other day, Franz, I bet you're happy to go home, go back to Austria or wherever he lives he live in or Italy. You know, spend a bit of time, you know, with a family. And he says, no. Every day of holiday is one less day I get to spend at the circuit. And he's like, you know, he's, he loves he it. Loves it. He just he loves it. it. Well, you all love it in that game. Like, no, he feels it. But, but Brennan Hartley, absolutely super guy. Yeah. You know, he is a, one of the new favourites of the paddock. Yeah. And Pierre Gasly also, you know, great guy. He's like second chance, isn't he, Brendan? Because, you know, he was courted by Red Bull, but never given the big break. Went on and proved himself in the World Endurance Championship and at Le Mans and has made the leap back. Often, once you go to endurance, that's it. You never mm. come back to F1. But he's done that. And let's hope he can sustain it. Well, yeah, because he's proved that he can be a world champion and topping times consistently over the period of two and a half hours. Mm. But whether he can condense that into mm-hmm. you know, more of a, a qualifying and B one hour, ten minutes in the case of Monza, it remains to be yeah. seen. Get one shot at this boy, go out there and do it now. If you don't work up to yeah. it, come out fast. Yeah. Okay, Toro Rosso, Honda engines. Force, not Force India, Force One, Force, Force Jordan. One. Should we call them Force Jordan? Could do. Why doesn't Eddie Jordan just rent the brand Jordan back to VJ Malia and we could have a Jordan on the grid again? I'd be happy with that. Especially half the people who still work there are from Jordan. Yeah. And they still call it Jordans. I'm going down to Jordans. You're still at Jordans, are you, Dave? Yeah, I'm at Jordans. Do they really? Yes. Really? (laughs) Well, if you scrape the paint off the warehouse, off the Dadford Road in Silverstone, you still see some yellow. Has Eddie actually moved those concrete blocks to allow people in (laughs) yet? Now, he's paid for them. I believe he is. I think he still owns the Jordan Technology Park next door, though. Does he? He might have sold that, actually. Yeah, I like Force India. Listen, they are amazing. They are everything McLaren could be if McLaren... <laughs> if McLaren oh, sorry, I uh, sent that into distortion then. If, uh, if McLaren trusted people to do their jobs and didn't micromanage and complicate things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's not from me saying that. That's from people like Bernie Collins and ex-McLaren people who have got frustrated with what's gone on at McLaren and there'll be five people designing a damper or a pedal when it only takes one person to say, look, this is the cheapest and the best way we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. McLaren, oh, well, no, we're going to have a committee about that. Force India get good people. They give them a lot to do, yeah. but then they tell them to get on with it and get it done and get it done quickly into the best of what they can do. It's working. And then they get through, and it's working. Yeah, they've got a quarter of the workforce of a Ferrari or a yeah. McLaren, but, you know, they're fourth. Clobbering fourth Williams with the same engine? Yeah. That's something because... The Force India team have been rebuilt. They're in real disarray. In the end of the Jordan years, money was tight. There weren't very many people and skills there. Mm. The Midland years, the Spiker years, they've had to build from scratch. 
And it seems sometimes, you know, we've, if you've ever had a friend who's a heroin addict, that I have, <laughs> they have to bottom out before yeah. they can come back from it. And I think that's probably why Force India is so good. You know, they've bottomed out and have rebuilt from first principles. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, well, they're good at not spending money that A, they don't have, and B, they don't need to. So they're very good at that, and they're finishing fourth now a couple of years in a row. They've got a good dose of constructors' money. And, you know, who knows what will happen with the ownership? We referred to Vijay's problems, but it looks like he probably will be allowed to stay in the UK, but we'll remain to see. But yeah, we'll probably see. be allowed to stay in the UK, but not Northern Ireland, thanks to yeah. Brexit. There'll be some complex <laughs> deal, won't there? Yeah, we'll see. It's currently with the magistrates, isn't it? But um, we'll see, because you do get the feeling they're just sort of waiting to be sold to somebody, but no one's coming along and buying them. Yeah, whether they get a name change, but they still keep putting in the results. So well done to them. Hmm. Okay, so bouncing up and down the grid, you've got Force India at one end and Renault. Okay, they saved it in the last race, didn't they? They're in reasonable repair. They've got great drivers. Yeah, great drivers. Great drivers, both. I'm a big Hulkenberg fan. I would imagine that Damon hates Carlos Sainz doing really well because Carlos clobbered Damon's son in British Formula 3 a few years ago. I saw that repeatedly. So he must curse you. (laughs) But they're not in great shape at Enstone, are they? They're getting a lot better. I did a slightly awkward, again, uh, interview with Hulkenberg and Science on the beach in Abu Dhabi, the last race we went to. And I said to Science, if you look at Enstone, it's in a terrible state of disrepair. He said, well, when was the last time you went to Enstone? I said, well, I'll tell you what, it was about nine months ago to a feature. There was rust all up the stanchions and a lot of the cladding hadn't been repaired. He said, ah, well, all of that rust is gone and those stanchions are repaired <laughs> and all of that's looking much better now. He said, look, I know what you mean. And it is. It is looking much better and they're rebuilding it and it's been run down from the previous people at Lotus. But but they are going much better. It's going to take a bit of time. I think it's basically a good chassis. It depends on the engine. But that Red Bull, I mean, the Red Bull's still a better chassis to the tune of a second a lap. Oh, it's know? an Adrian Newey chassis. Yeah, yeah. They're always a second better yeah, than anyone exactly. else. And with the same engine. Yeah. I think in Abu Dhabi, it was a 37.4, and then the Renault did a 38.4. You know, it was pure second in qualifying with wow. exactly the same engine in just the Red Bull chassis. So Renault have got an awful long way to go. But I do think you're right. I think Sainz and Hulkenberg... I would put them as, if you take a, is it a mean or a median? Uh, you know, a or mean, average, of, mean um, ability. Yeah. Because yeah. you look at someone like Sebastian up there, Kimi maybe down there yeah. a bit, Lewis up there, Bottas maybe down there a bit. Yeah. I think when you equal it out, yeah. I think Hulkenberg and Sainz are as good as Ricardo and Verstappen. Uh-huh. Ricardo and Verstappen. Wow. Verstappen's extraordinary. And Ricardo's pretty good. All right. Maybe not equally yeah. the best. Yeah. But, but close, close, very close. I'm less convinced about science than I am about Hulkenberg. I'm really? absolutely convinced about Hulkenberg. Oh, okay. Drivers who excel when it's wet are great drivers, and he excels when it's wet. When Carlos Sainz came to Renault, the first race, the first few sessions, he seemed to be stomping all over Hulkenberg. Then Hulkenberg just sort of sprung back. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe there was a technical reason on that day why he wasn't performing. I can't imagine anyone being more reliable than Hulkenberg. He clobbered every lower formula, made it look easy. One GP2 mm-hmm. in his first attempt took Jollyon three years to do that listen I love him as well I wonder whether this no podium thing is starting to play on his mind a bit yeah yeah we'll eat it a boy won't it they're all about stats aren't they yeah Yeah. and he's he's so competitive I mean he's just so competitive and Palmer wasn't really a challenge for Hulk at all Mm -hmm. he kind of freewheeled through the whole of last year more Mm -hmm. or less and then science came and was like, oh, hello, I'm going to mm-hmm. have to pay attention now. Good, good. Yeah. That's the best thing for a team, yeah, isn't it? So, yeah. Inter- in the scene rivalry, ups yeah. the game for everybody. Which leaves us with Red Bull. We've mentioned them in passing. Yeah. What is it that Adrian Newey is doing, or has been doing on that car up to now, that makes it second quicker than the Renault? It's not just the rake. There's other clever stuff going on, isn't there? It's What's the you? rake, and that they figured out what was making Ferrari fast, and they copied it. The front wing. The front wing, and the way it works with the barge boards. Yeah, really? and then, yeah, and then Red Bull have got a different diffuser, and Ferrari have now copied Red Bull, their diffuser, and they tried it in the test at Abu Dhabi. So Ferrari tried a very different diffuser, which seems to be where they're going for next year. But it's interesting how those two cars, completely interchangeable in terms of bits that will work on either car, yeah. and neither of them worked with the Mercedes concept. The yeah. Mercedes is an outlier in terms of aero concepts. It's not a high-rate car. It's more of flat. It's much longer. It's longer than our Mercedes E-Class limousine. Uh-huh. What? Really? Longer, yeah, wow. it's, it's like 3.7 meters mm. long wheelbase, mm. and it works in a totally different way, and that's what I think is interesting. And it's just a shame that we never got 
to see Red Bull and Ferrari be, you know, consistent. Ferrari was consistent challenge Mercedes, weren't they? But Red Bull just started off so poorly because Newey was bothering himself with the Aston Martin Valkyrie mm-hmm. project and, mm-hmm. and kind of taking his eye off the Red Bull. They're going to bring the program. Red Bull out earlier this year. They're going to test it harder. That's yeah, the, so the, they say. say. I'm yeah. going to be immediately yeah. convinced that's we'll actually going to happen. Are you optimistic for next year with new drivers in places and with halos and, uh, I don't know, 37 different Pirelli tyre compounds? The halo is a disaster, actually. Uh, It's not beautiful. It's not beautiful. I would have preferred the shield. Yeah, and maybe we'll get a canopy. I think if you turn it completely around, see some of the ideas they've got for 2020, make them look like space rockets with a canopy... That's great. This Halo thing, if I was a kid growing up now and I saw this Halo on it, I wouldn't be turned on to F1 the way I was when I watched PK and Mansell and Senna in the 80s. So I just wouldn't do it. And you need to see them as gladiators. And this thing is dangerous. You know, motorsport is dangerous. They've got this head protection. Maybe it's not so dangerous anymore. Maybe I'm not so excited about it. I'm really worried about it. What's Jacques Villeneuve's line on it? Because Jacques always says, oh, we like the danger. My dad died. Who cares? You know, that's his whole shtick, isn't it? He'll hate the Halo. Yeah. Well, you won't find many people who do like it mm. in F1. But they're in a legal position now. Yeah. They've learnt something that you can't unlearn. And if you refuse to put this on the car and something goes wrong, F1's liable. This is what's happened. This Precisely. Is legal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And go back and say, well, you had this thing and you didn't put it on, so you're now liable for that. It's bad. And I hope they can disguise it so that it's less aesthetically... You know, it looks like uh, a flip flop. It does. People say, "Oh, you know, you're obsessed with aesthetics." You know, that's why you object. It's not. Mine is more of a philosophical problem that these are gladiators. There's something dangerous about an open cockpit. You can see his head. Mm-hmm. All right, it's underneath the crash. Should we do without like... helmets then? Do you think? Is no, it... but it's not the same. Is it? It's not the same. It's not like saying you know, there's sensible ideas, seat belts, the hands, neck protection yep. and survival cells that didn't change the basic concept of formula one as an open cockpit formula and the halo does people say you're going to get used to it well you might get used to it but you might still not like it mm. yeah true you can get used to a lot of stuff you yeah. don't like are I'm you still not going to like it you've got how many 804 races next year is it 21 <laughs> races next year 21 apparently 21 yeah. yeah does it take its toll well i'm here i'm still got <laughs> You're still talking about still Formula, Formula One. one. Weeks right. after the end of the season. It's okay. I'll tell you what the hardest ones, funnily enough, are the ones like Russia and Baku, which are just long enough to be a real sort of drain to get to. Mm-hmm. Because Russia, we all get on a chartered A320, and it's five and a half hours in an A320, and we're all sitting there. We've got our iPads, and we're trying to sleep. And you get back to Luton at half two in the morning, and then you're back into North London by you know, three or something like that, half three. And it just takes its toll on you. And the back-to-backs take the toll on you as well. At Baku, you can't get out of there on Sunday night, so you need to go Monday morning, it's five o'clock in the morning, and blah, blah, blah. Those kind of ones take your time. Ironically, someone like Australia, you've got a long journey, but you get there, you've got a day to recuperate. Actually, it's not so bad with the jet lag. But then the back-to-backs, they're the ones that are not only sort of test your relationships at home because you're away for two weeks and the partner has to look after the kids or whatever, but it also tests the human relationship when you're out there with your teammates. Yeah. And people start to get, oh, you know, why didn't you do this? Or yeah, what yeah. are you thinking with that? Or well, you know, yeah. come out here and we're not that. You're living and with you these start people. start to get touchy yeah. with people. Yeah. And, yeah, we call it back-to-back-itis, you know, we call yeah. it. So. The tour madness, we used to call it. It was right. the same yeah. as a roadie yeah. on tour. You yeah. end up arguing with your best mate. <laughs> but, Ted, we appreciate the huge effort that you go to getting the answers from these guys messing with your natural circadian rhythms on a fortnightly basis and I hope that you are the same as us and that is gasping for the new season to start just new input it moves on we've got a champion that's over yeah. let's start again yeah and to answer the question I am optimistic isn't that sad should be jaded by now oh, no rubbish. Just, I am optimistic you are because just like us you're a fanboy which is why you're on this programme Ted lovely having you on the show thank you thank very you. much indeed have a good season and will you come back for a mid-season update yeah of course cool see you then I was Gareth he was Ted we'll see you to send us an email see pictures get song lyrics join our Facebook fan site follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities go to garethjones.tv Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones